Okay, Pasa Mufasa. My name is Dennis Walker, and this is the Mycopreneur Podcast. What's a mycopreneur, you ask? Well, friends, a mycopreneur is simply one who solves problems with mushrooms. What kind of problems can we solve with mushrooms, Dennis? Well, I'm glad you asked. How about climate change, plastic pollution, depression, PTSD, addiction, and a host of other mental, emotional, and physical disturbances? White supremacy, global poverty, hunger and disaster zones, obstacles to interplanetary travel, and a shitload more problems. Sounds lofty, sounds incredulous, but all of this and more is right on the money, amigos. And speaking of money, U.S. News and Consumer Report estimates that psilocybin alone could become a $100 billion market. We're going to cover all of it on Micropreneur. The mushroom packaging revolution, the renaissance of psilocybin and harm reduction and mental health, growing delicious and nutritious protein-packed foods at scale in disaster zones and marginalized communities, the emergence of mushroom leather and the fashion industry, mycoremediation, astromycology, and a whole lot more. A lot of folks out there are doing extraordinary work, world-changing work in the mushroom universe tackling some of humanity's biggest problems and having a grand old time doing it. We're going to get them on the podcast and set them loose. We're kicking off the big shebang today with a badass journalist who goes by the name of Michelle Janikian. If you haven't heard of Michelle by now, you must be living under a rock. Michelle's the author of the book, Your Psilocybin Mushroom Companion, as well as a prolific drug journalist who writes for Playboy, Rolling Stone, Double Blind, Teen Vogue, many, many others. I am very excited to get this show on the road. So without further ado, welcome to the Micopreneur Podcast. Wow, Michelle Janikian, what's up? Hey Dennis, how you doing? I'm doing great, and what a rare privilege we have to be able to do this in person together in this era of isolation. Yeah, I'm really excited. This is actually my first podcast in person. And so, and this is actually, so we're at a really sacred place to me. So that's also really special. And this is a a friend of mine that wants to join the party. And yeah, I really appreciate the invite. Of course. Yeah. Thanks for being here. And you brought a whole crew of dog guides with you too. Yeah. These are my, these are my spirit animals. But um, yeah, these dogs live in the park. They're not actually my dogs, but I feed them often. And so they like to hang around. They sure recognize you. They loved you. As soon as Michelle showed up, they really flocked to her and guided us all the way up to this special sacred spot. (laughs) All right. Well, let's get right down to it. So Michelle, you've built a thriving freelance business off of writing about drugs. Would your teenage tripper self find it weird that your adult self now occupies the space of professional and cultural legitimacy for writing about substances that used to be taboo? That's such a great question. I actually think a lot of how like proud my teenage self would probably be. My teenage self was not that different than I am right now. Surprise. Um, (laughs) But you know, I, I started, you know, experimenting with altering my consciousness as a teen and I got in a lot of trouble for it and I also just like didn't really know about safe use and like what I was doing and just like that there was a thing called harm reduction or spiritual use and all this stuff and so um you know I think my like I always say that I think my teenage self like I really wish I could go back and tell her because she was actually quite a depressed person and really I don't know I don't know if 
uh, I just feel like she would be really excited to know that it actually all works out. It's not all like really bad and horrible that, you know, good things are coming and that you just need to kind of stick to your guns and be safe and that, you know, it can work out. And so that's, um, yeah, it's a funny question, actually. <laughs> right. Well, speaking of good things coming, you've just recently launched a course with Psychedelics Today called Navigating Psychedelics for Therapists and Clinicians. What's that course all about and what was your role in it? I don't, it's not my course. I'm not teaching it. I just am helping Psychedelics Today promote it. I might do a course with them, but that's not going to be till later this year. Um but nav- navigating psychedelics, I can talk about the course a little bit because it's really important. So I work with Psychedelics Today. It's this really popular podcast, and they also do courses mostly for clinicians. So their audience is mostly like physicians, therapists, people who want to be psychedelic-assisted therapists or integration therapists. And the course is really to teach clinicians everything they need to know about psychedelics that they weren't taught like in med school or grad school it's really important. I think it's really great. And it's why I'm helping to promote it. But it's taught by all other clinicians. So obviously, I'm not a teacher. I'm not a medical doctor or a therapist. Um, but you know, there's some of the like, biggest like names, longest standing people who have like helped write the maps manual, which is like, you know, in clinical trials. Um, there's a lot of really important people involved teaching physicians. Uh, yeah, about how to help people integrate psychedelic experiences, make meaning of them. And just like about the science, history, all the things that, yeah, they don't, um, you know, aren't taught in university. And so I think if you're a physician looking for a good way to learn about psychedelics, because I do believe that more, you know, people than ever before are going to look to professionals to help them integrate their experiences in the next couple of years. They already are. It's a really great course to, to learn and to be able to support people in that process and to kind of get in the, you know, um, your foot in the door on this emerging space. And I think that's so important because we are the same age and coming up experimenting with psychedelics, I personally didn't really have any social mores or elders or guides to help facilitate that transition. So of course there was a little bit of literature out about it, but these days as mushrooms and psilocybin and psychedelic medicines are garnering more representation in mainstream media and in pop culture, I think it's so important that there is this container of professional therapists and clinicians who are well-vetted and, and researched in this space to be able to help transition people in their own exploration and experiences. I agree. Yeah, no, it's great. Psychedelics Today does a lot of great work. They have other courses. Um, their podcast really great. I, yeah, just moment to plug them. Today. Shout out Psychedelics Today. <laughs> Shout out to Psychedelics Today. Well, I got a lot of mileage out of reading your April 2019 article for Playboy titled Hallucinogenic Healing. Could Psychedelics Cure Toxic Masculinity? And that's a critical dialogue in global society today as we wrestle with impending ecological doom. Domestic violence peaking in relation to the pandemic and increasing social isolation. And on a more local level for us here in Mexico, the prevalence of femicide which has even been called Mexico's other pandemic. What's the role of mushrooms and psilocybin in dismantling the patriarchy? Wow, I mean, that's a big question. Um, So the article, you know, I started out kind of naively thinking that, oh, maybe mushrooms can like cure the patriarchy of its like horribleness, right? And help make men more sensitive and everyone more equal. But that was actually quite naive. And I don't know if I really believe that anymore, but... Looking like doing the research for that piece and talking to men and um, 
I think I learned that if you want to become a more sensitive person and you take psychedelics, you will, because it's all about intention, right? But if men go into a psychedelic experience or anyone, it doesn't have to be a man, um, you know, with, you know, and that that's not their intention, you can come out and just be the same old asshole that you were before. So like, even though I think that psychedelics can really help, you know, make you more empathetic and open your mind to just other people's feelings and experiences, you have to also be open to receiving that. And if you're not, then it's just not going to work that way. Um, they really can help open people up, but it's not a magic bullet, unfortunately. But as we're seeing more widespread use, maybe like things will soften up a little. There's so many more men like yo doing yoga and meditating and these kinds of things. And so, yeah, but I'm not really sure because at the same time, so what I didn't include in that piece and now I guess I have the platform to address it, is that there's a lot of abuses of power in the psychedelic space, in ceremonies, in retreat centers, between psychedelic therapists and very vulnerable people under the psychedelics. There's been like reports of sexual abuse and abuses of power. And so these are men who are very enlightened on psychedelics or people, not always men. These are men, women, non-binary people, I think, probably, well, anyway, that are you know, using their power um, over sick people who want help with psychedelics and using them sexually. And so that's, I don't think it's the cure, um, but I do hope that, you know, as more as the psychedelic community becomes more mainstream, if we can regulate this stuff and put this stuff above board, get it out of the underground, there could be less abuses of power. You could feel safer in that container uh, if you are a vulnerable or marginalized person. And so... Uh, yeah, I, I, I've been, I've mixed feelings about that piece because I don't think it can cure toxic masculinity. Sure, that <laughs> That's I, a great question. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, that idea of the magic bullet or the quick fix in Western medicine and culture has come up a few times in this podcast. And a particularly eloquent response that I had from a former interview guest is that mushrooms really deepen neural networks. So if you go in with the wrong intentions, you're deepening your relationship to those intentions. And that conversation is particularly interesting to me in relation to things we've seen politically and socially in the United States. And that we used to have this kind of magical thinking of you take psilocybin and it connects you to nature and to the Tao and to the spirit. And of course, it can do those things. But maybe there are people, and I think there's evidence of this, who are going in focusing on the wrong things. And it's really deepening their sickness and deepening their, their mental unwellness. So that is an area of study I think that's very important to, to look into is how can you create these safe containers where people get the most beneficial and safe and responsible healing experiences out of psychedelic use. When did you first develop an interest in mushrooms? Yeah, I was like about 17, I think. I had my first mushroom experience. At the time, I, I was, I've always been an avid reader and I was reading a lot of like 60s uh, counterculture literature, like, uh, you know, the electric Kool-Aid acid test and just like, uh, you know, a lot of work by Ken Kesey and uh, the beats and stuff like that, like every teenager does. But I really wanted to experience it firsthand. And I was also already... A really, I had a really uh, strong relationship with cannabis already, and I thought that mushrooms would be like the next level of that relationship. I was kind of wrong. Mushrooms are very different, but I think that's a pretty common misconception and just kind of like path teenagers take. And 
I had a really powerful experience. I write about it in the intro to my book. I'll do this quick little. I brought my book. Uh, yeah, I write about it. It was a really intense experience. I was totally by myself because I didn't know anything about safe use. I didn't know anything really more than like all this like really crazy triplet I was reading, which is like not like you know, anything like my book, it's not like a guide and like, oh yeah, how do you do this in a like safe, responsible way? I was reading about like acid tests and all this kind of crazy 60s stuff. And, uh, but anyway, I, um, it's, I, so I took mushrooms with my best friend who I'm about to take mushrooms with in like two weeks. I'm so excited. Uh, and then they didn't kick in for like two hours and I went home and literally like on the drive home they started like I started feeling it and then I tripped in my childhood bedroom mostly looking into the mirror and like just having just profound realizations like profound experiences that like I was a worthy lovable person just like look like I was dealing with a lot of stuff like I had an eating disorder at the time and I never like looked in the mirror and thought I was beautiful before until that night I cried so much I watched you're making me cry I watched like the my face melt <laughs> and you know every like and you know it was just really strong and uh I don't think I should have gone into it alone but that did end up being my initiation and from that moment I was like wow this world there's a whole world here and I got really into psychedelics and reading everything and I tried acid and just all these things and it was like a progression from like 17 to 19 and then it slowed down again and you know now it's definitely picked up again but anyway that's the long and i wanted to i wanted to address that (laughs) hiatus that you took i heard you on the cosmic nod podcast you mentioned how for much of your 20s you did not use psilocybin what called you back to psilocybin Mm, that's a good question you know yeah but i was struggling uh with with some depression, but also just like who I was and my role and what I was doing with my life. And, um, you know, I was reading a lot more about mushrooms again lately and I just was curious and I wanted to get back in and, and I'm really glad I did because it is helping me a lot. It's not been a quick fix. You know, my depression isn't cured. I still struggle from time to time, but I'm able to like ride it out in a way you know it's like I know just like a maybe a challenging part of my trip that like I feel really depressed this week but it's like not gonna be forever and you can you know just like during a trip you can be like I you know but all things end like even this nausea even this nasty feeling like it's it's just part of this like wave and so mushrooms have helped me just you know and to accept when I am feeling pretty depressed so like to put less pressure on myself because you know, it'll be like, oh, I feel depressed and I'm waking up later and I'm not getting as much work done and then I feel really bad and I'm missing deadline and it just becomes this cycle of like horribleness. But mushrooms have helped me step back and now when I am feeling really depressed, I can just kind of recognize it and be like, you know what, I'm gonna ask for an extension. I need a little time. I'm gonna take today off, go to Frontera, get some chilaquiles, just like, you know, enjoy myself today because I feel like crap, like my, just my brain is on fire or something. and. Um, and it's not that I go into a mushroom experience when I'm feeling like that, but my past mushroom experiences have helped me learn that it's not the end of the world. Like, you know, like when you're in a really deep mushroom place and you see that all your problems that cause you so much dread are actually kind of petty and things are going to be fine. Like grand scheme of things, missing that deadline isn't the end of the world. And so, um, you know, that spacious quality for me is 
has been a lifesaver and I'm glad I did get back into mushrooms because uh yeah I don't know how I would have survived the last two years without that (laughs) yeah uh one of my favorite things about having these conversations and dialogues is so many different people frame their thinking in a way where you have similar sentiments but it's like somebody else is saying it and you go that's what it is and one of our previous guests mentioned how for him some of the power of psilocybin is that he's able to experience these negative emotions and feelings without being overwhelmed by them, but just to be able to sit with them and feel confident and say, okay, this is going to pass and I have to witness this, but I don't have to let it suppress me. Yeah. Yeah. Really get me down because that just makes it so much worse. Yeah. I absolutely agree with that. And I think that that kind of gets missing the dialogue sometimes when you talk about mushrooms being a cure for depression, because it's like, like maybe, but really what they teach you is to just kind of like be more of accepting of all your mood states that it is going to like, you know, you take one strong trip and then you come back and you're never depressed again. Like that's, it kind of gets put that way in the media. And I really try not to put it that way in my own work because that's not what I've experienced. And, um, and I think that if more people are trying this, especially at home, like not with a doctor in a clinical trial or something like, that that's going to be their experience too. And to not like give up or to not feel like this doesn't work for you or you're really damaged and even psychedelics won't cure you. Like, nah, it's not like that. Like it's a slow burn, you know, (laughs) you got to really learn to be comfortable with yourself. And then other things start to fall into place. Um, I haven't mastered it, but it's starting to work for me. So I do believe in it. (laughs) It sure looks that way. (laughs) (laughs) So thinking about psychedelics moving into the mainstream and having more of a platform they are enjoying a worldwide long overdue renaissance Mm. and their enormous potential health benefits are being touted by leading academic institutions, mental health professionals, and more and more they're garnering representation in mainstream media and even pop culture. There's almost a universal praise for these medicines. What do you suppose are some of the risks and concerns inherent in the use of psilocybin that maybe don't get talked about as much? Ooh, that's a good one. I'm actually struggling here because I keep thinking of all these risks that are like, you know, the stereotypical like, oh, you're going to go crazy. You're going to have a bad trip and jump out a window. And we are really making a lot of progress and breaking those in the current resurgence. But like, what are some of the other risks you hear about? I don't know. Bipolar disorder or maybe underlying schizophrenia. And of course, when treated in a clinical and therapeutical setting, that's an argument for regulation and for legalization and having some kind of governing oversight with these. Uh, That's something I've personally witnessed living in San Francisco and having 18 and 19 year olds who have no experience previously with psychedelics who all of a sudden are thrust into the middle of Hate Street or Golden Gate Park on a high dose. Um, So I suppose from my own personal experiences and things I've witnessed, one particularly interesting story, it wasn't psilocybin, but it was LSD. I saw a kid wander into the middle of a reality television show set Mm. and start helicoptering and they had to try to remove him and they ended up calling an ambulance and everybody scattered. But it's those kinds of concerns about it's kind of the Wild West right now in terms of these substances are more available probably than they ever have been before in one sense. And, um, well, I would just say like, what's lacking there is education. Like, and I think we need education for people, for teens, as well as adults on safe, responsible use. Like that's what I'm all about. And also education on how to deal with people tripping because calling an ambulance is like the worst thing you can do for someone on acid. But 
but there's just no training for people to be like, oh, actually, you know, can so-and-so go sit with that guy for like, you know, 30 minutes until he calms down and we can kick him out? Like, because talking through would be a lot more effective response to that situation of that guy in the reality show than calling the ambulance. But no one would like know that or have the like, you know, compassionate response to do that. I think we need to have compassionate response to recreational users. I'm really like kind of bored of this topic of this conversation that it's like only okay with a doctor and in the clinical setting like I think for healing like yes having a a trained professional is going to be really helpful for you but not everyone's looking for psychedelics for healing and like why does that have to be bad like I think that if you go into a psychedelic experience as long as you're not like hurting anyone else you know infringing on anyone else's liberty you're t- taking some safe use things into consideration like dose and set and setting who you're with you know what you're gonna do um I think that it should be legal and regulated and then we can we can educate teenagers on how to do so safely we can educate everyone or maybe like Research will show that maybe teenagers shouldn't take acid because it raises their chances for HPPD and maybe they should wait till they're 25 or older because those risks go down. Like, I'm not sure if that's true, but I think research might show that in the future and just all these things. We need a lot more research and an education and then I think it should be regulated and then people won't be like so maybe that guy wasn't even on acid a lot of like things that are sold on the black market the underground market as acid like aren't it's one of the most misrepresented substances if you're not testing your substances another thing we could educate or have available to the public if this was legal would be so important um like acid could be it could be n-bomb in these more serious these more dangerous these are more toxic substances lsd is very low toxicity And so I just really hope that, um, yeah, it can be legalized and regulated eventually and and we can educate folks. And then um, I think that that stuff, I don't know, that's just going to be part of it. Like, we just need to learn how to deal with it. Um, And I also feel like when we demonize use outside of these like really rigid boxes that are so lame and just like don't make any sense, like... People who use psychedelics at concerts or something, they also have really powerful experiences. Sometimes it's really healing. Sometimes they really connect to the music or their friends or the whole planet. And so who's to say that, like, what's more healing than, like, what's more therapeutic? What's more beneficial? Like, I think everyone's different and we need to respect that um, when we move forward with policy changes, personally. Well, it's wonderful to hear <laughs> you frame it that way. And personally speaking, my first psychedelic experience was at a concert on a half eighth, and it was a transcendental, magical experience with the sun setting and seeing Ozo Motley playing and mm. connecting with a few of my close friends. I just, I had that sense of elation and of the possibility and the limitlessness of this new space that I had discovered. And I wish that everybody could experience that feeling. And like, as someone who struggles with depression on and off, like, oh, like the reappreciation of life, you know, and you're, and you're just like, how can I ever be sad? (laughs) Look at how beautiful the world is. Like that, I get that feeling just coming to this park, you know, that we're at right now. I don't even need psychedelics, but like now, but like, it can be hard. I can lose my way from that. And, and psychedelics help me bring me back and just to this center home, beautiful place. And I do wish people had access to that. I think, um, it's a really just beautiful part of this world. I can't believe that it's like psilocybin especially it's natural grows on the earth it's so many mushrooms grow in this country and um 
and it's illegal. It doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah, it's a noxious notion, obnoxious notion to think <laughs> of criminalizing a plant, much less one with so much proven historical use and impossible to overdose on. So many biological and emotional and health, physical benefits that are related to it. So I'm very happy to see the reemergence into the mainstream and to have this dialogue moving along. Um, I've mentioned this a few times on the podcast, but Ronan Levy, who's the founder of Field Trip Health, has mentioned recently that in order for the general population to accept psilocybin and sacred mushrooms, mushroom medicines, et cetera, we need more cultural influencers speaking about it. Uh, you're definitely one of those cultural influencers and more and more people are starting to kind of come out of the woodwork and speak about their experiences, but you've been doing it for a hot minute. <laughs> when did you decide to write and speak publicly about your psychedelic use and to advocate for it? Um, so I've been writing about cannabis for about six years now. And about halfway through that, about three years ago, um, I was starting to get disillusioned with cannabis. And I was like, you know, like I love weed. Oh my God, I love weed. But like the whole like mainstreaming of weed just felt really wrong to me and weird. And, and I was like, you know, why is weed okay, but all these other drugs aren't? Like, what is that? It's so like, like just this weird exceptional kind of elitist thing that just made me feel uncomfortable and so I decided to start covering other drugs in my work and substances plant medicines like I don't care what word you use personally um with some you know nudging from some editors too they're like I literally got an email so I've talked about this once from my old editor at Playboy like three years ago and she was like Michelle, do you have experience taking any other drugs? I was like, I'm glad you asked <laughs> because, uh, yeah, I, obviously I do. And um, so that also helped. But and now, you know, now that I am I am kind of sort of an influencer in this space, it's like weird to say, but I am trying to open it up to even more like, yeah, mushrooms are great, but I'm not one of these mushroom people who's like only mushrooms. Everything else is bad. If it's like a chemical substance, it's bad. I'm like, nah, LSD is cool sometimes. It's for different uses. Ketamine's cool sometimes. Like whatever. It's different as long as you're safe, like all these other things. And um, oh, I had another point. I just forgot it. But um Oh, so now I really want to start moving into to like more harm reduction for all substances. Like, let's start talking about people who use heroin for personal growth and don't get addicted. Do you know that like almost 80% of people who use opioids don't get addicted? You don't hear that on the news because it's like, these are so bad. Da, da, da. But it's just like a way to criminalize more people. It's not doing us any good. Like, I think we need to legalize all drugs and really educate people and really just stop with all the stigma and the othering and the my drug is good, yours is bad. Like, it really, it's, it really just comes down to like white supremacy and just horribleness. And I think that um, the future is, is, is destigmatizing and legalizing all drugs. Preach! <laughs> wow, that's beautiful. That's music to my ears. <laughs> But then again, if we decriminalize and legalize everything, it's dangerous to power structures. So how will we explain that to the people who sign our checks? So who are some of the voices in the psychedelic movement that inspired you and shaped some of your foundational thinking about psychedelics and drugs? We'll open it up to all drugs. Oh, cool. Hmm. Well, I just finished reading this really awesome book that came out this week um, by Dr. Carl Hart. He wrote, it's called Drug Use for Grownups. It's awesome. He also has really influenced my thinking. I saw him speak at the 2019 Horizons Conference um, uh, about like 
the uh, psychedelic exceptionalism and just like how it's wrong to like, yeah, say one drug is better than another. That certainly doesn't actually make any sense. Um, who else? So I've lately, um, I've uh, formed a friendship with author Bette Williams. She wrote The Wild Kindness. Um, her book is so bold and fun and just uh, also inspires me all the time. Um, she's great. Um, you know, my colleagues at Psychedelics Today and Double Blind as well. Um, just the support and stuff that they give me. Um, and Playboy. Actually, Playboy has a really fascinating psychedelic history that I want to dive into soon. Oh, so many I'm missing. Um, you know, just like all the women in the space who never get any credit. Zoe Helene from Cosmic Sister has been kind of, I call her, she doesn't know this, but my psychedelic fairy godmother because she's just always like sending me these really supportive, kind messages that bring me out of a funk. And um, God, just so many that I can't think of off the top of my head. But there's a lot of cool people doing you know, um, really cool work in the space that doesn't, that don't get talked about. And I really try to highlight them in my work and stuff more, um, and hope that they get more like a bigger platform, um, as well, more diverse voices in this space. There's some really cool uh, black women growers I follow on Instagram, Mrs. Vicious and Silly Girls. I love their content too. Like there's just so many people doing really cool stuff that just don't have the, influential power behind them that other people do like you know Paul Stamets is great but I wouldn't name him as one of my influencers he's just already doing his thing I respect it but yeah I don't know the women in the space are, um, are always really inspiring me well as a quick tangential aside I wanted to mention that I went to college with one of Hugh Hefner's sons and he actually invited me over to the Playboy Mansion one day <laughs> on Father's Day no less and it was quite a surreal experience. We went into their private zoo and into the grotto pool and there's a a music video of us freestyle rapping in the grotto that's out there somewhere. So you know, speak I never got to go they sold it. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah. Probably have one of my college peers to thank for that. Um, <laughs> some rich guy thanking for that. No. <laughs> speaking to access and representation, I had a question about it. Thinking about legalization and this framework of more and more therapeutic centers and clinics coming online, like Field Trip Health, Myco Meditations in Jamaica, a host of other ones. I look at some of these price tags attached to these experiences. And like, for example, Myco Meditations, their bottom, their floor is like $5,000 for a seven day experience and upwards of $12,000 per person, you know, give or take a few hundred bucks. So I wanted to speak about access and representation about all these marginalized populations who really need access to these medicines. And do you suppose there's a way forward or in my personal opinion, we need a more nuanced dialogue about if we're gonna legalize these, we need to make sure that not just affluent people can visit bougie lofts and Soho or whatever in order to get treatment. How can we create that platform so that people in inner city Detroit, although lots of people, Kalindi E, shout out, and his whole crew were already doing that, are doing that. How can we approach legalization in a way that's equitable and accessible to everyone? Yeah, that's such a good question. Um, I mean, the retreat thing, those prices are crazy. So I think now that Oregon has legalized, um, you know, psilocybin-assisted therapy, and it'll be rolled out in like two years, well, I really want to see, and I haven't been following to see if it's in the works, but I hope it is, is that that therapy will be covered by Medicaid. I think that's a really important thing um, that'll make it more accessible because right now these price tags, they're not gonna go very far down. And 
The reason is it's like really time consuming these psychedelic therapies for really just highly educated professionals who just have a high hourly rate. You know, you need like right now psychedelic therapy is weird where it's like two therapists in a room with someone for like six to eight hours. That's just like cha-ching, you know, like a hundred dollars an hour or more per person. It's just really expensive. Uh, situation and so you know but if Medicaid covered it and the government would help pay those people's salaries and then people who are on Medicaid could go and get that therapy that would be so important because there are so many people who can't even afford talk therapy because it's over a hundred dollars an hour let alone like talk therapy on top of this very ex you know experiential long thing um it's just it's just not gonna really get any cheaper I think also in Oregon like I don't know how it's going to be set up. I'm, I'm trying, I have to follow it. Um, but you know, it, it could be like retreat centers there. Right. I think that's what people are starting to talk about. And that would be cool. Oregon's beautiful to go trip in the woods in Oregon, like a healing journey would be so special. Um, but yeah, like if all of those things can be covered by health insurance, especially Medicaid, I think that's, what's really going to make it more affordable so then it'll be like domestic you know you have a cheaper flight you won't have to go to Jamaica or the Netherlands or something so hopefully keeping all this stuff like domestic and you know within the American healthcare system which you know isn't perfect but at, like maybe we could find a way to make this more accessible but I don't know if that's going to happen so just a quick tangent my friend and um source in Denver uh, Desmond um, Wallington, I think it's his last name, is a psychologist at a ketamine clinic, and they're the only clinic in the whole country to accept Medicaid. And he was telling me that they don't make as much money as the other ketamine clinics, right? Like they, because other ketamine clinics can charge so much um, for, especially the IV infusion, because it's just like all these other professionals you need to hook up to IV. So they do the intramuscular shots, which is cheaper for the patient because you don't need all the IV professionals. Um, and they accept Medicaid. So he's saying that like, he was telling me yesterday on the phone, they're getting all these like LGBT, like people of color, marginalized people getting therapy who never afford it before. I think that's so powerful. Uh, he's the only Medicaid licensed ketamine therapist, like shout out to Desmond. It's amazing. And I hope that there's more of that. Why is it only in Denver? Why is it in California? Why is it in New York? Why is it in Mississippi? Like, exactly. You know? And so... Yeah. Well, there I can't remember who said this, but in Oakland, of course, it's been decriminalized. And a lot of these marginalized populations have been using, especially in uh, Mexican and Chicano cultures, because there's this brujeria and shamanic lineage and ancient cultures that they're connected to. <laughs> and a lot of that is because they're, they've been um, neglected by the modern medical system and they've had their access restricted to it. So they had to develop and continue to have to develop alternative modes of healthcare. And so when I see these clinics popping up, I think about the potential for more inner city use that's guided by elders and by people who are trained or who have that experience and the positive impact it can have, immensely positive impact that it can have. And who are from those communities. Because if we just have like rich white therapists going into these communities, like sometimes they can do more damage than they do good. They just don't understand where people are coming from. And they sometimes like white therapists to marginalized communities, they end up just kind of like brushing off things they say and re-traumatizing them a little if they have racial trauma. And so I think we need to train people in those communities. But those few people in those communities have a lot less you know, access to 
you know, they can't afford the training. The training to be a psychedelic therapist can be really expensive. There's a program at CIIS that's just like $40,000 for a year. You have to be a really successful person to be able to afford that or just come from a family where you just have money or just however that works. And I think... Yeah, I'd like to see more affordable trainings. Yeah, you know. Me too. Everything. More affordable everything, Me please. too. Well, let's take it away from the macro policy level and yeah. back into the micro personal level. Okay. Uh, <laughs> is there a sweet spot that you found in, term, in terms of dosage with psilocybin? Mm, yeah, I, I'm a big fan of four grams. I don't know. Four, sometimes. It depends on the mushrooms, though. So, like, I, it can... Um, you know, be tricky because I'll take four grams of something and it won't be strong enough, actually. But it's like I'll take four grams of some, uh, you know, really well-grown golden teachers and it's it's like my zone. But I'm still figuring it out. I like to like when I get a new batch of mushrooms, I do like to get like a, a bunch so I can explore the like that particular batch's sweet spots. And so I'll probably start sometimes I start with a microdose just to make sure like I got the right stuff <laughs> and then I'll be like all right I, I felt it a little in my stomach this is this is the thing <laughs> and then I'll like you know me and Martin will like uh, take an eighth like and it'll be like all right that was okay and then we'll just like work our way up from there um so I always like to experiment with yeah the different mushrooms I get to find new sweet spots but you know I talk to a lot of beginners and I don't recommend four grams to be most beginners too and I have to be really careful about the language I use because I really feel like often people when people talk openly about drugs, like it's good for destigmatizing, but sometimes people like take my words as like, um, you know, it gives them permission to do whatever. And I don't really want, that's not the goal. I just want to give people the autonomy to make their own decisions and the inform the information and make informed decisions. But I get all these emails where like, oh, I read your article on candy flipping and I felt like oh, I should candy flip and did it and I was like Ugh. <laughs> that wasn't exactly the intention but oh well like what am I gonna do but I really just want to provide safe harm reduction info without like giving just like incur I'm not encouraging anyone to do anything but I guess I am trying to be like it's I don't know to, to take the stigma away like it's this like fine line I'm just still trying to figure it out but so Sweet spot is whatever you think the sweet spot is. <laughs> I find that there's different levels of value and depending on what your intentions are. For example, we were recently uh, at this beautiful waterfall called Roberto Barrios near Palenque oh, cool. and took probably what would equate to a half eighth, although they were fresh mushrooms that were local, which was super cool. And went in the waterfall and just had the most beautiful, relaxing, affirming, uplifting experience, right? That's one sort of experience. But if I were going for more of a meditative, trying to process issues or trying to explore, right? We mentioned how psychedelics and psilocybin are not just for healing. It's for exploration. It's yeah. for enjoyment too, right? It's not just all about, okay, you have PTSD or you have depression. You need to find treatment for it. It's like you could be totally healthy and active, a member of a professional community, and these are for you too. And I found out through a baptism by fire from being young and not really understanding dosage and getting a whole bunch and be like, yeah. I guess I should take all of these. And I distinctly remember my induction into the macro dose world where I was on a camping trip and I had what I would probably guess to be a half, uh, half ounce and hadn't weighed it out and just thought it would be a good idea to eat all of them. And it was an extraordinary experience and it definitely shattered my worldview in a lot of ways, but in a very positive way. And that level of exploration, I've only recently begun to steal my nerves and my confidence to get back to like macro doses offer a lot 
of explorative potential and and there's a whole universe out there and curious about your thoughts about that are you a fan of the macro dose yeah yeah i don't do it that often because the recovery time is really long and i'm like a really busy person but yeah i mean i am interested in exploring those realms um i do it yeah carefully too because i can just like it can affect my mood too like with the recovery and then i can have trouble like focusing um just like because it just seems so petty and boring and stuff for like a week after but yeah I am slowly working my way up to some some higher zones and 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 feeling some new energies and it's really cool I'm getting really into researching entities as well although I haven't really met any it's not from like personal experience I'm just really fascinated by aliens and now like these kind of other psychedelic entities that are more common like when you hear about people smoking DMT extract but I think in high really you know macro doses like we're talking like over 7 10 grams like 10 12 15 right like I think entity experiences and these kinds of experiences can be possible and um yeah I'm, I'm, they're I am so happy to speak about this with you because for so long I've had to just kind of sit on this and only talk about it, you know, with friends and whatnot. And now I feel this almost permission to be like, I need to talk about this. This is something that's important in my life. And I get enough, I field enough questions in my own life from people who'd be like, what can you tell me about this? And being able to have these dialogues is really refreshing and really uplifting for me. So thank you so much for having that dialogue with me. <laughs> so moving on to what you're working on right now, what are you working on right now? Mm, um, so right now I'm, um, I'm reading a lot about near-death experiences and I am going to write something about NDEs for psychedelics today. Eventually it's going to take me forever. So Joe, if you're listening to this, don't expect it anytime soon. <laughs> no. And uh, I'm also doing a lot of like harm reduction research and I think I'm going to be doing something cool for a pretty mainstream outlet on that, which I can't talk about exactly. I'm going to be doing some courses too coming up. So you, I'm not doing the Navigating Psychedelics course with psychedelics today but i am gonna i think be doing two different like you know how to take shrooms kind of courses with some two different outlets um that i have to make sure that's all confirmed before i start promoting it good idea uh what else oh and i'm also working with um this really cool like gallery head shop in vancouver called studio aok um we're going to make like a, like kind of turn my book into like a zine, do like a really short, like mushroom zine, uh, hopefully to come out at the end of the year. So I have a bunch of fun projects that I'm just diving into now. I also am about, I just started some research for a new piece on um, psychedelic music and kind of trying to like, kind of like look into some of the, you know, popular culture or just some of the like, ideas we have in the psychedelic community about what makes good psychedelic music and trying to like poke some of those holes in some of the things that we've been taught to believe like you have to listen to like spiritual music or no music with lyrics like these ideas that kind of float around when we talk about perfect psychedelic playlists I want to start to explore 
some of those. So that's going to come up eventually. <laughs> that's been, that's really interesting for me personally because I've been heavily involved in music production over the last decade and whatnot. We should talk. Yeah. Yeah, yeah we should. We're talking now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I sort of, I had these breakthrough experiences early on with a couple of different bands and then I would try to recreate them and it was still cool, but it wasn't the same, right? Yeah. So I was always on the, I think everyone's on the hunt for the good psychedelic playlist, right? For, yeah. for what you're going for there. Um, okay, so you just kind of spoke to that. I guess this is a reframing of that same question. Is there anything in particular right now that you're involved in that you'd like to promote other than your badass book? My book? Um, this one's for you, by the way. Uh, what yes. else am I... I mean, yeah, like the courses, like, you know, yeah, so courses are going to be just like this new thing that's, uh, you know, it's it feels like weird to promote them too much because I hate being too, like, I don't know. Actually, I'm not like an entrepreneur, you know, really. I'm just an artist trying to support myself, so it's like really hard for me, but... Yeah, like, you know, if you're interested in doing these courses and online events, like, do it. Because, you know, the people who are running them, they're not just doing it to, like, get rich. They're just doing it to, like, have a paycheck. <laughs> and so, um, you know, even the courses I'm not involved in on Double Blind Mag and Psychedelics Today, I would recommend checking them out because they're really valuable. And, um, okay, so I also might do a course. This is, like, not sure if I should talk about it yet, but... I am going to do more work on alien abductions and it's the connection between aliens and psychedelics and I might do a whole course on it. I'm not sure, but I also might be like moderating a panel on it on an upcoming conference and just creating more content in that area because it's been really fascinating to me. So yeah aliens <laughs> i love it when you mentioned the near-death experiences becca definitely perked her ears up like, yeah she's she yeah she's very interested in that and uh often says can you stop what you're doing i need to tell you this story that just happened and then I have to put my stuff down and listen and they're always fascinating so oh, i really wow. hope that you do focus a little bit of your creative genius on that realm i'm reading um this older book by kenneth ring mm, something omega something uh, and it was one of the books that like kind of, uh, was really influential in the nineties, like putting the ND or the eighties, even like this concept on the map. Uh, it was after Ray, Raymond Moody wrote like the first in the seventies. And then Kenneth Ring is like the next NDE researcher that became pretty famous. I'm reading his books now and yeah, I'm just getting really, it's really fascinating. It's very, it seems very, so many of the experiences seem really similar to like high dose kind of mystical experience stuff like feeling the the light and that all knowing like you go to a homecoming and you have you know everything like I've experienced that on mushrooms and I'm like wait that's the same thing that people who come back from like being flatlined for a few minutes experience like that's crazy to me there has to be a connection there and so I don't know if I'll figure out like have any answers for people but i'm just gonna like present to them all the crazy things i learn and that'll be fine i think and there's a fascinating fascinating connection with the cosmology of the maya uh, in the city that we live in there's graffiti of mayan ufos all yeah. over town and i'm like we went to palenque and in particular one infographic caught my eye that said that the mayans were they have a lot of inscriptions that predict events in the future and also make reference to events in the distant past, like 4,000 years in the past and a million years in the future. And I go, okay, you've got Mayans and UFOs and you've got events in the past and events in the futures and this very misunderstood or not fully appreciated genius of the Maya culture and all, a lot of these indigenous ancestral cultures. It's fascinating. John Mack's second book. So I wrote this article for Psychedelics Today that just came out about 
Dr. John Mack, who was a Harvard psychiatrist in the 90s who worked with experiencers or people who had alien abduction experiences. They preferred to be called experiencers. Try to respect that. Um, and he did a lot of like kind of cross-cultural work where he interviewed people, you know, in Africa and in South America and in Mexico who, you know, this kind of like entity alien experience is like a much deeply, pretty deeply rooted part of their communities and their myths of and their origins of their people and um and he does a really cool job of, of, of explaining some of that back in the 90s and uh uh I find it really there's a lot of work to be done there for sure like I find it all really I don't know that much but you know like just this I like so Max's idea is kind of like what if aliens aren't this like physical other thing that live in another planet like what if they're actually like part of this like maybe other realm or dimension of like a spiritual dimension and they can actually but the scary part about aliens is but then they have the capability to cross the line between our physical between their spiritual dimension into our physical world and like take us with them and that's I think what really freaks people out but or if you start to believe in aliens in these more spiritual terms and when you read about indigenous alien sightings and relationships you start to believe in it a little more because like yeah, like, cause, because they ha just have, like, so this is what Mac theorizes, and sometimes the language feels a little colonizing, but that indigenous people just have a greater sense of the spirit world, and that, you know, they're more connected, and so this was always part of their culture. I'm still not sure how comfortable I am with all that language. I gotta sort it out in my own mind, but uh, I think it's really fascinating. Have you ever seen Pablo Amaringo's paintings? He was a Peruvian ayahuascaro, and he has an extraordinary gift for visual representation of his experiences. And there's a lot of aliens. There's a oh, lot cool. of spiritual beings. I'll send you some links yeah, to them please. because they're just so beautiful. And now he's passed away, and these paintings are going for like $50,000 because everyone around the world is like, these are the most amazing paintings I've ever seen. And I've seen that. Yeah. <laughs> I saw that. Yeah. Yeah. This is very oddly familiar. So a parting shot. I think we've covered a lot of super amazing territory here, and I used to teach high school and there may be a few younger you know 18 year old around there students listening to this <laughs> or people what is some of your advice going back to revisiting if you could talk to your 17 year old self or your 18 year old self and you're starting to develop an interest and you have a curiosity in these substances we can talk about psychedelics we can open it to the spectrum of drug experience what is some parting advice you have for some of the younger listeners i would just say that you know um just don't do drugs like super recklessly. I think I, so I think back then, like I kind of did drugs with a bit of a death wish. I just didn't realize I could get hurt. And until my friends, you know, died and then, you know, you have a wake up call, but like not from psychedelics, from other substances. But I just say like, you know, just give your intention some thought. It doesn't have to be this like setting spiritual intentions. It's just like, like, do you want to get fucked up? Like, okay, but do you want to get hurt? Like, no, well, let's like find a middle ground of like how you can do this safely, not recklessly. Like, don't be driving cars, think, like obvious things. Like maybe don't go into huge public settings on acid and stuff. Like maybe lower doses you can figure out. Like, but figure out your boundaries and stuff like at home in small groups first and then work your way out. And, and yeah, just, just be safe and look out for each other and, um, don't mix too many substances. That's my advice. And don't mix too much alcohol in there. You can take drugs without alcohol, it'll be fine. <laughs> yeah, and I, I, I really appreciate that response. Shout out to all you former students out there in Michaelpreneur-verse. Uh, I think it's so important 
to have a more comprehensive drug education for youth. And having taught in a high school, there was rampant drug abuse going on and there was so much, you know, and, and maybe that's my old, you know, perspective of it from where I was coming from. But I just felt that there was a lot of mixing going on. Oh, yeah. There was a lot of alcohol ingestion. There was a lot of pharmaceutical abuse going on and surely some legitimate, amazing experiences people were having too. So, and you know, the D.A.R.E. program and the, the drug education program of former generations obviously was really effective in scaring people and in criminalizing drugs, but it really seems time to turn the page, turn over a new leaf and focus on drug education. Can you imagine if in high schools, instead of D.A.R.E., we had like harm reduction, like don't mix acid and lithium, like teaching people like, the, but this is like, well, butrin and psilocybin, probably okay. You know, like, can you imagine? But Because so many teens too are on psychiatric medications and mixing this stuff with med meds is really dangerous. That's where that's where kids like go to the hospital and have seizures and stuff, you know? And so I really hope that we can have just more honest, just like not stigma fear based, you know, information out there for people. It's online, you know, the internet is just like so you know, just like do your research, kids. Go on like Reddit or just like, you know, double blind, like all these magazines providing this harm reduction stuff. Just like do a little reading first. Make sure all your friends will be safe. Make a fun little set and setting. Me and my friends used to skip school. Probably not the advice I want to give people, but like when we were going to do mushrooms together, we would, you know, go to someone's house where the parents weren't going to be home and just create a beautiful little situation. It was safe. And, you know, we had lots of fluids, we wouldn't drive cars, and we would just like, sit in someone's backyard and connect, and it was really beautiful. Now, I'm not recommending anyone skip school or anything, and maybe cool parents could, like, be home and be your trip sitter if you're all over 18. You know, I have heard cool older sisters, stuff like that, you know. So as we're all getting more educated and open and breaking the stigma, I hope as, like, a community we can come together and make sure teens are safer, make sure we're all safer by looking out for each other and not just, like, demonizing each other for stuff that isn't it's just expanding our minds it's not that you know bad so anyway that's my two cents <laughs> i think that's high ground that we can end on that's a wonderful point to ride off into the sunset thank you for bringing us to your special spot here in this beautiful ecological park and thank you for joining us today on michaelpreneur yeah no problem thanks so much for having me dennis i appreciate yeah. it <laughs> There's so much to cover in the mushroom universe and so many mycopreneurs leveraging the infinite potential of fungi to create a more ecologically balanced, inclusive, and equitable world for all of us mischievous little monkeys. I am completely stoked that you've chosen to spend some of your hard-earned time in our little corner of the mycoverse. Hop on the gram, say what's up, at mycopreneur podcast, that's the handle, don't get it twisted. We've got the full suite of social media up and running. Twitter, Michaelpreneur. Got the YouTubes dialed in, Michaelpreneur. Drop us a line. Tell your grandma and your kooky uncle. Tell your wife and your kids. If you're a Michaelpreneur yourself, you want to hop on the pod, by all means, willkommen, bienvenidos, welcome. Don't be a stranger. Let us know your thoughts on this episode, and also let us know what you want to hear in future episodes. This is a team effort. Thanks for stopping by the... Thanks for stopping by the Michaelpreneur podcast. Have a lovely day. We'll see you back here next week.